Welcome to 217 Faith, the church that fits your schedule. What excuses do you make as humans to justify sin in your life? Wait, wait, wait what? I, I don't do that, Moy. Well, are you sure? We live in a time where it has become easier to justify poor behavior rather than stand firm in our Christian faith. Churches are full of folks who have never shared the gospel and who have never truly changed their lives. For many Christians, becoming a believer is simply adding on the, the Jesus package to their life. It helps them to be a better person. Uh, you might stop cursing or drinking too much. Maybe you help here and there at the local soup kitchens. And certainly you attend church on Easter and Christmas. But nothing much else changes. Adam blames Eve when he sinned. Eve blames the snake for misleading her. The brothers Jacob, Esau, and Jacob, uh, the, Esau being the firstborn, complained that his father did not give him a blessing as Jacob deceived his father with his mother's help. Yet earlier in their story, Esau willingly traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. King David tried to hide his sin. The prophet Isaiah allowed fear to capture his imagination even after seeing God perform amazing miracles. The disciples of Jesus, they all ran, although Jesus warned them of what, what was coming. You and I, to this day, invent ways to sin and then ever more ways to attempt to hide them or blame others for it. While sin can be a corporate or even a national thing, it also begins, always begins, with the individual who slowly slips into sin, one bad choice after the other. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I'm confessing to you my own shortcomings. Even the holiest of individuals, if they become complacent in their faith, they run the risk of falling into sin. Remember, the devil usually doesn't present us with a big, obvious sin, but through a series of poor decisions, we slip and slide into his traps. It's just one night, just one more drink, one last hit, and so forth. When we justify sins, we allow it to become our master. There's a wonderful illustration of a man who was at his job and the phone rang. Uh, he proceeded to tell his supervisor that the call was for him. To which the supervisor said, say that I'm not here. The man got back on the phone and simply said, I apologize, the manager, he's not currently available, but I will give him your message. When he hanged out the phone, the manager was furious at him and said, why didn't you say what I told you to say? And the man simply responded, how long do you think will pass if I'm willing to lie for you that eventually one day I'll start lying to you? His manager saw the wisdom in what he had said and thanked him for telling the truth. Small decisions is what gets us there. The Apostle Paul warns believers not to be so uh, sure of their faith that they might fall. Again, to the Romans, Paul says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Not some, but all. Friends, there is always an ever-present opportunity to sin. Yet, there is also an equal opportunity for us to choose not to do so. In the scriptures, we are told that God sets us free. And it's not free so that we can go and do the things that we want. No. Sets us free from the slavery of sin. Free to choose Him, to choose righteousness, and to live our lives accordingly. This is what God intended for His people from the beginning. From the moment He created us to the setting aside of His people Israel to you and to me. 
the Apostle Paul, who who is phenomenal in his oration skills, uh, and and used to it would use words that that he shared wonderful messages to the church. He's writing now to the church in Rome with things that I believe apply to us today. You see, Rome was a superpower of its day. They were the center of culture and commerce and politics. And sadly, they also became an increasingly permissive society, justifying poor behavior in order, of course, including uh, the sexualization of their youth, in part to a police or to keep the masses under control. Eventually, they were overtaken by an enemy as they were deluding and self-destructing from within. Yes, some say that the Roman Empire never really went away, but that it morphed into what we know as the Catholic Church today. And there's some evidence uh, to that hypothesis. As Paul is encouraging the church there, in his letter to them, chapter 11, verse 25, Paul first lays the case for the salvation of the Gentiles. That's you and I. Because of the present rebellion of Israel, he says, against the true Messiah. Jesus, you see, they refused him because he did not come as they had hoped. Let me ask you, do you ever walk away from God because he doesn't do things the way you wanted him to? Yet Paul informs the reader that Israel's resistance had a purpose. And that is to bring Gentiles into the fold. Jesus spoke about this. He spoke about having other flocks. He meant Gentiles, you and I. That is, if we do not share a Jewish heritage. Yet God's plan remains to save all of his people, including, beginning with, Israel. In recent weeks with the events surrounding Israel, we must ensure to show our support for God's people. But we must also not be afraid to bring the word of God to them. Yes, they are chosen people, God's chosen people, but many of them still uh, need to repent and accept the Messiah. God's relationship with the Jewish people goes all the way back to his covenants that he made with their ancestors, all the way back to Abraham. Yet disobedience has brought much frustration and pain to their lives, as it usually does in the lives of any believer that goes against the flow of God. You see, often in the world as Christians, we feel that we must go with the flow of society in order to be accepted, perhaps so that we uh, maybe even mistakenly thinking that we can maybe affect some change. Yet Jesus warns us that we are not of this world, but he chose us out of the world. Therefore, the world will hate us, John 15. If there are no consequences due to your faith in Jesus and the world does not hate you or persecute you, then you're probably doing something wrong. Even Jesus said that he came to cause division because his message of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness and grace would have that effect on people. This brings us to the passage that we would like to dig into a little deeper in today. Romans chapter 12, where we are called by Paul to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might, uh, may figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. In the previous verse, just in Romans 12.1, Paul actually gives us the answer as to how we will do that. It's almost like that, like that game Jeopardy, right? They first give us the answer, then they tell us the question. Romans 12.1. By the mercies of God, present our bodies as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, will be our appropriate service or, or what we could also call our reasonable worship. 
The Apostle Peter uses the same word that Paul uses here, conformed as he is ministering to the persecuted church in the region of Asia Minor, or what is called uh, Turkey in the present day. He reminds them as obedient children to not fashion themselves, which means to conform according to their formal lust and in their ignorance. What was their ignorance? What is our ignorance? Well, before uh, we gave our lives to Jesus, what was our lust? Well, the same wicked behavior that many practice in the world today. So we can take these two verses and combine them and really bring them together to help get us on the right path. The path that will help lead us away from the ever-present opportunity to sin into a better occasion to live a God-honoring life despite what the world around us is doing. You see, the world believes that being ethical is enough. But it isn't. We must also seek the holiness of God, the rightness and the righteousness of God. If we remove this perfect characteristic from God and we seek to produce in His children this holiness that we're talking about, being ethical is a start, yes. But that is all about what we can do in our own strength. To be holy is to be fully committed and surrender to the will of God every day. To be truly transformed by Him. So as we jump back here to Romans 12, we need to identify a couple of questions that we see there. First of all, what are the patterns of the world that Paul is telling us not to conform to? If we begin all the way back with Adam and Eve, we would say that their patterns were mistrust, which led them to disobedience. God clearly gave them guidelines as to what they could and could not do. As far as we know, there was only one restriction given to them. And that is the one thing that they did. Was it out of boredom? Was it perhaps curiosity? We know that it was a direct deception of the enemy of this world. Something that had to happen. By the way, it does. Yes, God had to allow for the opportunity for them to choose in order that we might all become true followers of Him. Think about it. Without the opportunity of sin, how can we know we possess the spiritual fortitude to not do the bad things that we felt led to do, but instead trust in God's eternal plan. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not an excuse. Sin is still wrong, and any sin we commit is our fault, not God's. Yet God's plan for us necessitates this, or these, if you will, sin occasions. Don't be too hard on Adam and Eve. Their disobedience is representative of our disobedience. Just as they sin, so do we. We too have the ability to make the right choice, and sadly, we often don't. Fast forward in the events of history to the time of Noah and the ark. God decided to wipe out the human race because the patterns of that age were evil. Here we have one of the saddest verses in Scripture in Genesis 5, uh, 6, 5 and, and through 6, where it says, The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea in their mind thought that their mind thought up was always complete evil. And then the Lord regretted making human beings on the earth, and he was heartbroken. Friends, we may think that, that God easily dismisses us when we sin as, as disobedient children, yet we know from the Scriptures that it breaks His heart. If you have a child, imagine that child doing everything opposite to what you raised them to do. Would you simply cast them out, or would your heart break? If you are a good parent, I guarantee you are in for a painful heart experience. 
The fact that humans choose evil over God's goodness breaks God's heart. Next, we can fast forward all the way to the Israelites and their eventual exile from the land that God had given them, the land that they had taken over. God has sent his people many prophets warning them to repent, to turn from their sins, to put aside the idols of their day, and to place their trust in him alone. Yet much like a good father disciplines his children to correct the serious or poor behavior, the Bible says that God gave them over to their enemies as a punishment for their disobedience and idolatry. I know it sounds harsh, but they would not learn any other way. If you baby and allow sin in someone's life, then things will not change. Not until they have no other choice. An idol, my friend, says anything that takes the place of the real thing. Israel had allowed the culture around them, those that they had failed to remove during their taking over of the land, to influence them negatively, to pull them away from the one true God. So much so that they had begun to worship false gods rather than the one who had brought them out of slavery into a beautiful promised land. Yet again, don't be so hard on them. The history of Israel is a representation of the human race through continued sin, ongoing disobedience, and unfaithfulness towards God. That's our history too. And so for the Israelites, for 70 years, they suffered under the oppressive hand of their captors. Now we can finally arrive at the events of our scripture for today. In the very city of Rome, 2,000 years ago, when Paul was writing this, he was addressing many of the sins that our current culture is still practicing and where uh, people are refusing to believe and repent, uh, choosing to believe and refusing to repent from. The Christian's call to live separated from the world is meant to encourage others to see how sin is not necessary in order to enjoy this life. Yet when Christians behave like the world does, what hope is there for the lost? We should be bothered when others behave in sinful ways around us and speak up against it, even if it causes us those relationships. It's not only about doing right, but more importantly, about living right, according to the patterns of God, not the patterns of this world. Not speaking against sin is to become permissive of it. It is what's called a sin of omission, knowing we must do something, yet we choose not to do it. Paul, again, speaking to now us, the Gentiles. He proclaims at the beginning of his letter that we, the Gentiles, are without excuse. Through God's visible qualities, he says, since the creation of the world, we knew God had made all things, so we had no excuse not to trust him. The patterns of the day, of Paul's day, where ungodliness and injustice towards others, uh, silencing the truth, foolish reasoning that led to darkness in their hearts. Sounds like those folks in the days of Noah's time and even our society today. Then we read another one of what I call the saddest passages in Scripture brought upon by the woeful rebellion of the human race, where it says, And so God abandoned them to their heart's desire, which led them to moral corruption of degrading their bodies with each other. They traded God's truth for a lie, and they worship and serve the creation instead of the Creator, who is blessed forever. My friend, be careful that we do not confuse God's desire with our own desires. 
even if those desires seem to be for good purposes, if it is not what God ordains for you, then we have to let them go. The enemy is able to use even our desires to do good against us. If it's not what God intends for us, because what it'll do is it'll distract us from God's plan in our life. Paul himself wanted to preach in the, in the province of Asia, yet the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God stopped him. Paul continues in this passage. He says, and that's why God abandoned them to, this, to degrading lust. Their females traded natural sexual relationships for unnatural ones. Also, in the same way, the males traded natural sexual relationships with females and burned with lust for each other. Males performing shameful action with males, and they were paid back with the penalties that they deserve for their mistakes in their own bodies. Here again is why God allowed it. Since they didn't think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God, God abandoned them to a defective mind to do inappropriate things. It's worth pointing out that God did not make them sin. The devil didn't make them sin. It was all part of their terrible perversion. They wanted nothing to do with a holy God, so God allowed the ultimate result of sin to overtake them. Their choice, not God. Paul tells us in the scriptures that their minds were defective. No wonder he calls us in Romans 12 too, that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, sin degrades us, so we must repent. Lay aside and begin to live our lives for God, not the self. This is the culture that we live in today. Living for the self has led us to sexual deprivation between men and women. And worse, we see it now being pushed on our children. The sacrifice of their innocence and sometimes the destruction of their bodies to meet an evil agenda is barbaric. If a boy thinks he's a girl, okay, let him think that. But why do you need to physically change them and castrate them with drugs? That's not natural. Those are evil actions. If a boy or a girl is confused about their sexuality, conversation and structure are the answers, not government-sanctioned manipulations or removing them from their family structure. That's ridiculous. Someone said once, when I was a child, I wanted to be a pirate. Thank God that my parents did not take me to the doctor to have my eye plucked out or my leg cut out so that I could look like a pirate. Stupid analogy, right? I know. But so is leading our children into sin and then afterwards allowing them to go deep into depression and suicide. Christians, we must speak against these monstrosities and put away the evils of selfishness that are causing this sin in our land. But Paul is not done. He speaks of the patterns of sin of those people from his time, and I would even say in our time as well. He says they were filled with all injustice, wicked behavior, greed, and evil behavior. They were full of jealousy and murder and fighting and deception and malice. They are gossips, he said, slanderous people, and they hate God. They are rude and proud and they brag. They invent ways to be evil and they are dishonest to their parents. They are without understanding, disloyal, without affection, and without mercy. Though they know God's decision that those who persist in such practices deserve death, they not only keep doing these things, but also approve others who practice them. This is in Romans 1, 24 through 32. 
Listener, if we don't speak against the evils of this world, then we are those who approve of the practices of others. One of the biggest lies that the enemy can tell the Christian is, oh, you don't have to get involved. Oh, this is a natural evolution of your species or worse. God is love and, and love will work it all out. While we are called to love one another, it never means that we accept or tolerate sin. Jesus certainly never did that. And as we have seen with Adam and Eve and in those in Noah's time and even with God's chosen people, because God loves them, He disciplined them. We love the sinner, not the sin. The sinner must repent, meaning turn away from their sin. Love never means we accept a poor choice. This is the only way, according to God's word, in His justice, in His righteousness. He does not want us to be lost to our sin, but to come to our senses, renew our minds, and live according to His goodness. Evil surely has a way of sneaking in on us through permissive behavior. In the creation event, we tend to think that, that God created all things, and then on the next day, Adam and Eve sinned, right? You probably thought about that when you read that story. But I don't think that's the case. I believe that a lot of time passed by. I believe that they lived perhaps in harmony with God and creation for several decades in the promise, right there in this paradise, right? I am sure that they were tempted often along the way. But it wasn't until the devil finally gave them that little lie, the one that took in their heads, that they finally fell. And that's how the devil works, you see. Slowly placing a seed of doubt, a hint of yeast that eventually rises until we begin to trust the lie more than the life giver. Evil snuck up on the people of God. They were in slavery for many years. And I'm sure they allowed that bitterness to take root in them and to affect their life choices. Even after being freed, they refused to trust in God and it caused an entire generation to die off in the desert. But by the time we get to Paul's day, humans have once again reverted to behaviors much like those we saw in the days of Noah. Every intent of the heart was towards evil. You see, the pattern of Paul's world are not too different than the patterns of our world. Take something as potentially insignificant as Halloween. It is a fun time to dress up and give candy, right? Yeah, what is the meaning of this day? What does it represent? It is a time to celebrate death and evil. Oh, more you've gone too far. No, it's true. Christians must not participate in this evil. One year you may allow your child to dress up like a princess or a superhero. And as they grow old, they will undoubtedly graduate to customs of evil representations. I recently saw a church advertising a harvest festival, yet the flyer included a, a smiling vampire and a playful witch. Don't you see it, friends? When we justify foolishness and sinful things, eventually they are no longer foolish and sinful, but we become permissive and more accepting. And this is a road that leads to perdition. Oh, trust me, I get it. I too was in full-time ministry once, and we used to love holding harvest festivals during Halloween night to keep our children safe, right? To keep them away. And that's wonderful. We can celebrate the blessings of God of life-giving together as we change the meaning of the pagan days. We used to always have rules like, well, you know, nothing scary, nothing evil as far as customs. Yet when we begin to allow a little blood makeup or a silly funny witch, we are opening the door to greater felling 
and willful sin. This is that other question that we must address. How is it that Paul tells us not to conform to the patterns of this world? Well, I've given you an example. But we Christians, unfortunately, often conform by confusing sin with love. We mentioned that as well. There's plenty of sin that Paul addresses in the list that he gives to the church in Rome in chapter 1 that we Christians still willfully practice today. Did we evolve our understanding of God's grace as, as some would cry out? Or is sin still sin? It's the latter one, by the way. Sin is always sin. Unfaithfulness, disbelief, disobedience, rebellion. To go against God, if your intention, even if your intentions are good, still makes you a sinner. Someone in need of repentance and spiritual transformation. Here's a few other examples of how we conform to the evil patterns of this world. There are folks out there that are attempting to decriminalize sexual relationships between adults and children. This is disgusting. The Catholic Church is synonymous with child abuse. You can't mention it without it coming up. Yet their world leader keeps watering down the holiness of God and conforming to the patterns of this world. There are states in the United States where so-called doctors don't even have to tell parents that their children have had an abortion, a murder of an unborn child. I call them so-called doctors because real doctors are not supposed to do harm to anyone. There's a greater movement to remove the responsibility of parents in favor of children being recognized as adults, capable of making their own decisions. I mean, most actual adults are unable to make proper decisions, yet we expect a five-year-old to make a life-changing decision about their gender, about who they think they are at five. At four, at three, at ten? You cannot have prayer in schools, but demons dressed in drag can freely come and corrupt our children. War is the way of many, and they justify it as a necessity, yet Christ calls us to be peacemakers. And so many more. Sadly, many in the church affirm these despicable evil practices. That's not why God established his church. He did it so that we can be a beacon of good and mercy and compassion and service to God. When we present our bodies to the world, they produce or produce sinful behavior in us. Again, think of the list that shared by Paul earlier. However, when we surrender our bodies to God and seek to please Him in our thoughts and actions, then our bodies become instruments of good. And God blesses us in ways that we could never imagine. But the choice is always ours. And there is always an opportunity to sin, but equal opportunity for us to choose not to sin. We need to choose not to sin more, friends. It is a daily choice. I would even say it might even be a daily struggle. But we know that when we persevere in doing what is good, perseverance finishes, as the scriptures, the work so that we may mature and complete, be mature and complete, and lack nothing. We humans love to think about the purpose of life. And yes, the purpose of life is for us to serve God. But I'll make it even simpler for you. The purpose of God is for us to mature. God's commandment at the point of creation was to be fruitful and multiply. We are meant to grow physically and emotionally and spiritually. And then as we reproduce and have children, we must raise them 
with godly values and will eventually lead them to make better choices, then we have, of course, a positive impact on the human race. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. Suppose that we refuse to grow up and we just want to live under the shadows of our parents, being corrupted or spoiled, developing feelings of entitlement. In that case, when we do reproduce, we will only create more weakness and immaturity in every level, physically and spiritually and emotionally. Trust me, these things lead to nothing good. Lord, as you call us to be transformed, to allow the things of God to change us and to help us develop our thought process, guide us by your love and motivate us by your desires to treat others with kindness and with mercy. Not accepting sin, but denouncing it. Help us to always choose ourselves not to sin, rather than to give in to its lies. This is the same choice that Adam and Eve had, the same choice that the people in Noah's age had, the same choice that the people in the wilderness had. Lord, teach us how to choose you, to trust you no matter what. Lead us not into temptation, Father, but deliver us from the evil one so that we may live obedient lives honoring you with our words and with our actions. May it be so, Lord. For we truly pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. He's not in a rush, he has time for your healing. 
so grateful to have had you join us in this service and we pray that you will be motivated to put your faith in action in God, right? Please visit our ministry website, 217faith.church or as you watch us on YouTube or Facebook or even on X, please help us to spread the word by, by liking and sharing and clicking those notifications below. You know how helpful that is to this ministry. 
If you want to support our evangelistic efforts, please uh, access our Patreon account and become a contributor, truly an enabler of this God-led ministry. I will add a description, a link in the description below. And so we thank you for your support in advance. You see, God's calling humbles us to preach His message of hope, of love, and of invitation. So we want you to join us, and together we can reach more who surely need God's welcoming word of grace today. Would you visit our ministry website, 217faith.church, and utilize the resources there to help you through your own Christian experience. And so until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift His face to you and grant you peace. God bless you.